pilgrims always hate it when they see tourists around the place, especially if they get to their pilgrimage destination and it's full of tourists. That really gets up the noses <laughs> of pilgrims. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is about pilgrimages. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by a fellow pilgrim, David Schutz. Thank you, Peter. It's good to be back on the show again. Excellent. Let's define what we're talking about here. Pilgrimage, lots of people talk about a pilgrimage, or rather they used to, but there seems to me to be two dimensions to a pilgrimage. There's the actual journey itself, and then there's the destination. So we may perhaps talk about them uh, a little bit separately. What do we mean by a destination for a pilgrimage? I'm going to add one more aspect to it, because the journey is from where you start, where your home is. So it's from home, right. you leave where you are, you go to a place, and it could be um, any number of different kinds of places. Um, it can be a place that is a sacred place. It could be a recognized place, a place that the church recognizes as being um, a pilgrim destination. And, you know, in a situation like that, you actually, any official shrine of the church, if you make any kind of journey to visit there for devotional reasons, there's usually a plenary indulgence attached to that. So that's right. a very high, high end official thing. But um, I love to think of Hilaire Belloc's um, definition of a pilgrimage, which might be, um, you know, even a little walk uphill to a neighboring and beloved grave. So perhaps to the grave of a loved one, that might be a pilgrimage. Hmm. Or, or really to go on a journey to a place, in Belloc's words, on impulse to see something that greatly calls one. So you feel in your heart, I wish to go there and there's this will be my destination and now I'm setting out on a journey to get to that place. So it's not an accidental thing is the point that he's making. It, it's something that uh, calls us beyond the usual. Like we haven't just noticed something on the side of the road and gone, oh, wow, it's something that we've set out to go to for some kind of reflection or, or introspection. Yeah, it's a, there's a lovely novel called The uh, the Accidental Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. I think I've got the right term to it. It's a lovely <laughs> novel, but don't, don't worry about that. But it's just the idea of can you be an accidental pilgrimage? And I just want to tell a personal story here. I think the first time I ever realized that I was a pilgrim, it was in a sense accidental. It was my first journey overseas and I'd gone with a um, study group to Istanbul, otherwise known as Constantinople. And I had entered into Hagia Sophia, that great church that was built by um, Justinian 1500 years ago. And when I got there and when I walked through the door and sat down in, well, it's a museum these days, even a mosque, I think it's being used, but it had been a church for over a thousand years. And suddenly I thought to myself, I'm a pilgrim. I came here for this. <laughs> this is where I was supposed to be. I could return home tomorrow a happy man and die. I have been to this place. <laughs> so so I do think um, on that same journey, interestingly, I we ended up going, we were there in time for the dawn service at Gallipoli. So we also went down to Gallipoli and was there along with a lot of other Australian pilgrims to 
glibly. Now, that's not a uh, a churchly, a, a, a Christian faith place. But nevertheless, everyone who went there were on pilgrimage. We were on a bus going in and it was dark and I could just see all the crowds of pilgrims walking along the side of the road in the dark with their sleeping bags and all the rest of it. That was a pilgrimage too. Uh, I've said in prior podcasts, uh, David, that our Anzac Day slash um, kind of Remembrance Day celebrations in Australia are the nearest thing we have to a state religion. Mm. So that seems to be the pilgrimage of our state religion. Mm. It it shows that there's an instinct in human nature for this kind of thing, the journey to somewhere that's significant of some kind. Yeah, and it's interesting looking. You can look at all different religious all different religions, all different cultures, pilgrimage, even indigenous pilgrimage. You know, the, I, what the you know, we white fellas call it walkabout sometimes, but walkabout was often going to a gathering, to a um, to a place where there was going to be a ceremony. Right. And interestingly, that too can be a pilgrimage. Like when we have World Youth Day, we're not going to a special place. Randwick Racecourse is not a special holy place. <laughs> but the gathering, the celebratory gathering can be a destination. And the, we we call the World Youth Day people pilgrims because they are traveling yes. to that. Even uh, we had to go from Melbourne. You just had to go around the corner from your place. But, um, <laughs> uh, that you know, that was a pilgrimage too. So a very different sort again. The intent seems to be one of the key factors mm. here. That it's not an accidental thing so much as, well, it can be initially, I guess, but but in the end, there has to be some kind of intent. Mm-hmm. I want to pull this apart because, as we were talking about before we came on air, people often over um, emphasize one element or the other, the journey or the destination. I was planning to go to Lourdes, for example, as part of my long service leave, and lots of people were very interested in Lourdes and making a big deal out of the, the end game, but nobody talked to me about how I was getting there. Um, mm-hmm. And it was interesting because we'll come to a, a Vatican document on piety in a minute, but one of the elements they emphasize as jointly important is the journey itself and the, the planning we have around that journey being a spiritual journey as well as a physical one, as if they were ever separate, really. Well, okay, so there's something interesting historically here. Um, the Lord's pilgrimage is... Uh, is one sort. Let's think of another one. On my last year before COVID hit, on my uh, when I suddenly found myself free, my plan was to go to Santiago de Compostela to the tomb of St. James. And that deal today is all about starting at the French border and walking 800 kilometers. And it's, <laughs> and, and so many people actually do that without any real intention of or devotion to St. James, or such that after, you know, several months of walking or six weeks of walking, the pilgrim gets to Santiago and thinks, I've got to keep going. And they keep going on to Finisterra, which is another four days walk. And they can't walk any further than that because they've run into the Atlantic Ocean by that point. Um, (laughs) So, so, so there is a lot of, a lot of reflection in pilgrimage studies these days on this relationship but the emphasis on the ju- the journey was initially always in the past simply the means by which you got to your pilgrim destination it right. has become today 
especially since I'd say in about the last 120, 150 years, I think Belloc, who I quoted earlier, when he decided to walk to Rome and do a pilgrimage to Rome in 1901, he's perhaps one of the first writers to actually emphasize the spiritual benefit of walking on a pilgrimage and not going, he says, like any common uh, tourist. <laughs> he got very annoyed when he hit the, um, the the Swiss Alps and he found that he couldn't go, he couldn't walk over the top of them and he actually, actually had to go on the route that the the tourists took. It really annoyed him. <laughs> and and just, just as being a tourist, tur pilgrims always hate it when they see tourists around the place, especially if they get to their pilgrimage destination and it's full of tourists. That really gets up the noses <laughs> of pilgrims. <laughs> Well, it's interesting to see the difference because quite often uh, I'm dealing with uh, people preparing for pilgrimage. It's part of what university training as well. They can do a course which uh, is a before and after shot of a pilgrimage. And quite often the initial urge to go on a pilgrimage is that they're offered to go and they think, oh, that's amazing. I'm going to see some amazing places. Mm -hmm. And they have a very uh, secular mindset because I'm I'm going to see some amazing new scenes and take my camera and they're really thinking about these things first and then when they come back they often reflect on it as a spiritual experience even though the original intention might have been quite secular. Mm. It's um, it, it can be difficult when you go on pilgrimage to think now uh, uh, do I take my camera with me? You know, of course you do in the end, um, because you. <laughs> but but I know a nun who um, went on a, a pilgrimage here in Australia with just her tent and sleeping bag on her back, and um, walked for eight or nine days on her own, no gadgets, no cameras, not even. Uh, I don't even know if she took a book to record her thoughts. You know, right. so that that's you can't. It's very hard to make a hard and fast distinction between pilgrimage and tourism because we often. It's this desire to see something as much or the desire yes. to be there in a special place, which is often the driving thing. And tourism's a little bit like that. <laughs> so in some respects, people, when they talk about tourism, they still want to see something. Mm. Like you go on a, a tour, you might say a tourist goes to Niagara Falls, but it's still something that's extraordinary and, and pulls and one out of oneself. Bringing back a souvenir, some of the oldest souvenirs we have are little lead pins and badges that pilgrims would bring back from Walsingham or from Santiago or from Rome to say that they had been to that place. All right. I'm, I'm going to run through the list um, of dimensions of pilgrimage, which the uh, Vatican document called Directory on Popular Piety mm. uh, for the laity uh, list. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's a, it's a list encouraging us to think about the different dimensions of pilgrimage as we go. And they're suggesting that each pilgrimage, however different it is in its in its composition, has these something of these elements in it. So they talk about the penitential dimension. That is that part of our pilgrimage is a kind of an examination of conscience. And in some cases, if there's a priest along, um, actual penance. But the penitential dimension of pilgrimage, some people even went on pilgrimages as part mm -hmm. of their penance in, the, in, in ancient times. There's the festive dimension. This doesn't always get mentioned. The celebration, the actual joy of a journey together, the singing of the hymns, especially those psalms, you know, the, the what are they called? The songs of Zion, as mm -hmm. they, they pilgrimage psalms, they come into the holy place and, the, and celebrate certain festivals. The worship dimension uh, involving praise uh, of God and worship of God um, in, in whatever way that uh, 
whatever form that takes, the apostolic dimension, which links us to the, the apostolic authority of, of Christ through the apostles and the, the whole church uh, linked in there, that that's more about if you're looking for an official kind of pilgrimage destination and that, that's an approved um, or you might be going to the tomb of an apostle. Yes, that's right. Mm. And and there's the communal dimension that you're actually going with uh, with a community. Even if you're going alone, you're never really alone as a Christian pilgrim. You're walking this journey in in the communion of of the saints and with all the others. Finally, there's the eschatological dimension, which talks about how this pilgrimage is a a prophetic sign of the journey of our life to its its final destination. Um, so these dimensions are just like a way of thinking about pilgrimage. And the truth of the matter is you can't actually use that as a recipe for putting, for planning a pilgrimage. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> it's those, a way of reflecting. Uh, yeah, uh, but you will find that those things happen or don't happen um, depending on the kind of pilgrimage, who you're going with, where you're going, how long it is, how you're traveling, all of those sorts of things. Let me let me come clean here at the moment. Um, as far as a pilgrimage, pilgrims go, I... I am a devotee of the walking pilgrimage, this very modern kind of pilgrimage. And as you may have gathered, I haven't had the chance to go um, on a nice long walking pilgrimage overseas yet. So I've done it in Australia. Um, I started right. off back in 2014. I was invited to um, join a group of people who were for the first time going on what the founder of this experience called an uh, the Aussie Camino. You can look it up on the internet, <laughs> the, Aussie, the Camino, Aussie Camino. The Aussie Camino. And I was on in the first official group that did that. The chap who founded it was a chap called Luke Mills. And um, this has now been taken, he's handed over the organization of it to a couple of uh, local Vic, uh, Western Victorian tourist agencies. There you go. Um, but <laughs> we walked from Portland, where Mary McKillop was a young governess, to Panola in South Australia um, via Port Macdonald and Mount Gambier, along that south coast of Victoria, um, and then into South Australia. And it was uh, seven days. I think it's now uh, nine or ten days because we walked almost 40 kilometers a day some days. And that gave me a taste for this. And then I thought, oh, well, I can do something else. And um, I, I began thinking about ways of doing pilgrimage. I went on another pilgrimage, which many of your listeners may know about, the Christus Rex pilgrimage, which is a uh, done by the traditional Latin mass communities of uh, Australia from the cathedral in Ballarat to the cathedral in Bendigo. Now, in my experience, it was a little bit more like a four-day, a three or four-day procession, you know, with right. um, singing and hymns, and I've, I even, you know, you can even go to confession as you're walking along with the priests and the rest of it, and you stop to say mass, and um, it's the full medieval deal, but right. a very different kind of thing to uh, just other possibilities. Um, I then during the Holy Door was it the Year of Mercy? Um, we had Holy Doors in our diocese, and we were encouraged to make pilgrimages to the Holy Door through the Holy Door. I walked the 44 kilometers from my local parish here into the cathedral, and a group of us joined along the way. It was a, a merry group. 
Um, but it was strenuous. That's a long way. Uh, finally, <laughs> finally, then in 2016, with a couple of colleagues, I decided we were going to walk from Mary McKinnon. Since we have an Australian saint and we have her shrine and it's this, her shrine is there just near around the corner from you, Peter, in North Sydney, we would walk from her birthplace here in Fitzroy in Melbourne to her shrine in Sydney via Eden, where her mother um, lost her life in a shipwreck there. And it took us four years to do that, 58 walking days. Um, you didn't do it all in one shot, though, did you? We, no, we, we did it in uh, four two-week stages. So um, right. was basically the way we went about it. Anyone want to know more about that? I, um, I, the, uh, I can anyway. But the, the point is this. Um, the different kinds of journeys, the different kinds of people. So that list you read, in terms of, say, community, the community and the worship side of things was very strong on the Christus Rex pilgrimage. Uh, yes. There was a good deal of festivity on the Aussie Camino every night, every <laughs> night in the hotels, lots of festivity. Walking to Sydney, I can tell you there was an eschatological sense to that. So now this is a more right. of a theological experience. This sense, because it was so long, so drawn out, that every day we would get up from a destination where we spent the night and walk to another place, usually our host in the next parish who would put us up for the night. Hospitality is a very important aspect of pilgrimage. The, the, if yes. you host a pilgrim, there's benefit, merit for you in that as well. In, in all, yes. But then we would... There's an entire religious order, isn't there, based... Isn't the hospitaliers based the on hospitalers, the hospitalers? The hospitalers, yes. Oh, sorry. And that was for the pilgrimage to Jerusalem um, back during right. the um, a crusader order. And, yes. Um, but there was, there was such a longing... Such to get you see you, when we saw Sydney first and we came over the, the distance to saw Sydney and the distance that great city there and the knowledge that we were only so far away. I woke up on my last day of walking with tears in my eyes, knowing that today we would reach our destination. And that is certainly and it's only when you do that and have that that in, immense experience that you can. Get a sense of the use of pilgrimage as an image for our Christian life, that it is a journey. We don't we cover many hardships along the way. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how we're going to get there. But by God's grace, suddenly the day comes and you are and the eschaton has come. The, the yeah, cry, cry, <laughs> and you're looking with tears you. at the end. <laughs> and it, that's right. Tears of joy. Well. Tears of relief, I can tell you it was. <laughs> Indeed. But, I mean, yep. I, the analogy of a, a journey for the life's journey is, a, is an important part of this. It helps us get some perspective on mm. our life because often we just jump in a car and we're there or a plane mm. and we're there. And one of the reasons why the Directory on Popular Piety suggests that the final stages of the pilgrimage should be at least attempted on foot is that you have this experience of plodding. Slowing down. Yes, and plodding towards your destination mm. and seeing the, the the kind of delayed final realization. You you ha you almost revel in that sensation. Of, I would um, say it's incarnational. There has to would, too yeah. much so much of our travel these days, this by train, by car, by aeroplane, is fast and unattached. Uh 
Bruno Latour, a philosopher, tells a parable of two twins, one who catches a high-speed train to get to the conference they're going to, and the other who, in fact, is hacking their way with a knife through a jungle and having to, with the mosquitoes and all the rest and the sun and the crocodiles. And he talks about the different experience. One arrives without even the sense of having travelled. The other arrives with a sense of place, a sense of achievement, a sense of um, of experience and being changed. Um, so, so this change, I want to bring up this question of change. Pilgrimage changes you. The early people who were studying pilgrimage back in the 70s um, drew the connection between pilgrimage and a rite of passage. It, a rite of passage has three stages. The leaving the comfort zone where you are in your social class or social position, the moving out into what they call a liminal zone. And liminal is interesting because it means crossing a threshold and it might be crossing the threshold of the home to leave the home, the comfort area, or crossing the threshold into the sacred place, the, the destination. But the third thing that happens, so it's it, for a person going through a rite of passage is that they return home again. And that return home, you come back home, but home is different and you're different because you've been changed by the journey. And there's a wonderful verse. You mentioned, you mentioned the example of the, the wise mm. men coming to uh, see Jesus. Beautiful story. They come to see Jesus, but then, of course, they're warned by the angel not to go back to Herod afterwards. And the, little, the text says they went back by a different way, by a different road. And meditations on that has often said they went back changed. They came yes. back. When they arrived back at their home, they were different people. And um, so they're – now, of course, this is where the eschatological thing doesn't quite work because when it comes to our final reaching heaven, heaven is a final destination. We're not going back anywhere. But the hardest thing – there's a wonderful book written by a woman called um, Nancy Frey about – um, the pilgrim experiences on Santiago. And she just, she's got a whole chapter about coming home. And we too often, and if you've been on World Youth Day, if you've been to World Youth Day or something like that, and then you've come home from it and you wonder why everybody doesn't get the excitement, the change, the thing <laughs> that's going on in you, it's because they haven't changed, but you have. But also there, there's another aspect of that. When people come home from such a spiritual uh, experience, they often uh, feel a little bit um, disillusioned with the life that they thought they were just coming back to. But what mm. they haven't realised is just as they have changed, they are now seeing the entire world with different eyes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it has to be the same as it was. In fact, they have transformed their world by being changed themselves. And I think if you go on pilgrimage... You do, and I'm learning this more and more because I haven't finished my Mary Killer pilgrimage. We're going in the other direction now. We set off from her <laughs> from her birthplace, and we're heading now again to Panola to join up with the Aussie Camino route. But I went um, back in April. I walked uh, to Hamilton, which is out in Western Victoria, to where Alexander MacKillop is buried, Mary's father. And I thought along the way about returning home. I knew about all the COVID things. I was thinking about where I am in my life and my world. What do I take back when I get back from my pilgrimage? And one thing you, I've learned, one thing pilgrimage has taught me is that if you achieve one thing every day, 
be thankful. You've done that. You, you know, <laughs> because when you're on pilgrimage, you wake up in the morning and you know you've got one job today, and that is to get to your destination at the end of the day. And if you right. have, a, and, and everything is singly focused on that. You don't follow off little routes that say, look out that way or um, wonderful thing to see down that road. You just keep on going. And you're not worried right. about, um, you're worried about what's on, your, how your feet are going, how the blisters are going and all the rest of it, and where you're going to get the food, um, you know, with shoulders from your backpack. It's so focused. And if we could live life with that focus and also the acceptance that if I have done that, that is enough for a day. Right. This would be a learning. Let's throw something at the listener. Let's suggest that insofar as we are permitted to do so or as we can, uh, as the COVID restrictions begin to ease, that we look for little pilgrimages, perhaps even mm. uh, make the pilgrimage to our own parish church as an important re recommitting ourselves re sort of the journey to christ in the tabernacle is is a small pilgrimage in itself that we seek mm -hmm. out these small pilgrimages and of course we encourage people to think bigger but let's start thinking about these small things and we'll appreciate them i think more having been denied them for so long yeah and there's nothing stopping you even if the church is locked um, for using your hour of exercise that you're allowed by the powers that be to walk to the church and to kneel down outside the church as close as you can to where the Blessed Sacrament is, uh, is um, there That's in the an tabernacle. interesting idea, David. I mean, I wonder what would happen it, to people who saw a, all of us respecting social distancing, mm. et cetera, but using our precious hour <laughs> to simply go as a group, one whatever metres apart we need to be, but as a group and to kneel outside a church mm. would be a, an amazing display of... Um, well, here in Victoria at the moment, you're only go allowed to go with one other person, but um, and not allowed to go any further than five <laughs> kilometres. But um, I can tell you, it's very difficult. The frustration I'm experiencing at the moment, it's very. I, I hadn't realised how important making these various journeys was to me until right. I was told I was not allowed to do it anymore. Do it, yes. But I, I think you're right there. Okay, so one of the difficulties with pilgrimage can be sometimes, you mentioned being seen, and sometimes we want to walk with our banners, singing the songs, <laughs> praying the rosary through loudspeakers. Um, other times a, 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 a pilgrim can pass through a place and not even be noticed. Right. It's an odd it's an odd experience like just recently when I was walking to Hamilton I was actually had offered hospitality several times quite impromptu by locals and they knew that I would be there but then I'll be gone tomorrow I'm gone it's just passing through and I won't see them again I might never right. know them and it's it's a fleeting opportunity encounter. yeah and, and so you are ready for the encounter at every point um, and it's not just in the end, this is where the, you know, the journey rather than destination people come in, because every way along the journey, you're ready for the encounter, um, the encounter with Christ in the other person you are meeting. And they encounter Christ in you because you're the stranger in their midst. <laughs> the strange, strange part of that stranger is. <laughs> well, the strange thing about that stranger, and this is the thing that the locals out there can't get. They've never walked 
wear this strange but they've never thought of walking from one end of their town to the other um let alone from this town to the next town so all right well perhaps i mean that's a great way to wrap up the podcast the the seeing of the journey every single step of the journey is a a new encounter and an encounter both with christ and as christ But that's probably a good place to wrap up this week's podcast. If you've got some experiences with pilgrimages or you think we should go about pilgrimages in a different way, let us know. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or Discord, you can contact us or hit us up at the website thiscatholiclife.com.au or with an email to info at thiscatholiclife.com.au. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. But thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. (music) 